Welcome to the Fitness Candor Podcast. Your host, Eric Feigl, will be bringing you the truth about exercise and the fitness industry. You'll hear from fitness professionals, exercise science professors and researchers, fitness industry entrepreneurs and leaders, as well as people who simply love to talk shop. Stick around after the show to learn how you can get your topic in an upcoming episode. Enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Fitness Candor Podcast. I am joined today. See, we all mess up. It's fine. With uh, Dr. Aaron Horshig. Aaron is a physical therapist at Boost Physical Therapy and Sports Performance out of Kansas City. He is a coach, a speaker, a writer, and is a certified NSCA strength and conditioning specialist. He's also the host of the Squat University podcast. And one reason why I wanted to get him on the show was because we, we share some similar uh, thought patterns in terms of focusing on form before anything else. So that's really what I wanted to talk about. I want to talk about a little bit more about what the Squat University is and kind of get some good quality info out of that. So Aaron, thanks for joining me today, man. I, I'm glad you can make it. Hey, thank you so much for having me on. Oh, my pleasure, man. So tell us a little bit more about yourself, um, a little bit more about your background, how you got into to founding uh, the Squat University and then kind of go from there. Yeah, definitely. So I've always been into barbell training. I got introduced to uh, to weightlifting back when I was in high school, obviously through other sports, you know, every, a lot of people when they grow up and they're going through football, baseball, basketball, whatnot. So I got introduced to the sport at that time and just fell in love with it. I was always the guy that, you know, while I may not have been the most skilled on the field, uh, the weight room was my place to be, especially in the off season. I, you know, couldn't get enough of it. Then when I went uh, to college, I found the Olympic weightlifting team that we had at Truman State University called the Iron Dogs. And again, I was like, wow, this is a perfect match. So um, from that time on, I've just been involved in Olympic weightlifting and then tried to blend this principles of strength conditioning, Olympic weightlifting with my career path, which I chose to be physical therapy. I felt like the way that I could help people the most was to come from the injury side of things because I myself had experienced so many injuries just through my own sport participation. And I noticed just how grateful I was for those who had helped me out in the past to get from a point where I could not participate or perform to my greatest abilities. And I felt like I could do that for others and wanted to do that in the future. So I sort of geared my career path that way. I ended up going to the University of Missouri or Mizzou for physical therapy nice, school. Yeah, yeah. So three it? years there, uh, graduated with my doctorate, and I've since been out in Kansas City working at Boost Physical Therapy and Sports Performance, where I see athletes of all ages, you know, five years old soccer player, high school, uh, you know, high school age football players, college professional players from time to time, number of CrossFitters. So I gear uh, a lot of my practice towards uh, the athlete and the injured athlete and helping them get back to 100%. Um, now, sort of through my practice as a physical therapist and still with my continued participation in Olympic weightlifting, I just noticed these trends as I was continuing to evaluate more and more injuries and see more of these patterns is I was seeing athletes who were strong by all means of the word. And, you know, when you think about strength, you know, bigger, faster, stronger, the athletes of today are no doubt the epitome of that. And when we, you know, compare athletes to the 80s, 70s, you know, further back. But there's a problem is I was noting just we have this rising trend in just aches and pains and even significant injuries. And when I would be evaluating athletes, there was one sort of 
thing that kept on popping up almost like a, a deja vu. And it was the inability to properly move through a squat. I would be asking athletes during our evaluation process, hey, show me this, show me that. Um, I want to see the reason, try to find the reason why you got injured so we can fix the process of why you got injured. I'm not just trying to treat the symptoms and send you on your way once you feel better. I'm trying to you know, get to the root of why you were injured in the first place. Right. And I found that so many athletes, no matter the sport that they were participating in, could not perform just a basic body weight squat or single leg squat with great looking quality. You know, in my years of treating athletes, I've seen one amazing looking pistol squat all the way down, fully controlled, and that athlete had an injury. Oh, Other wow. than that, all the athletes that I have, you know, there's some reason that they have developed their injury. And I've sort of traced it back. And, you know, while there's obviously a multitude of different factors into why injuries happen, I think one of the root cornerstones in that is the inability to properly move with the squat because the squat sets the foundation for a clean, for, you know, a snatch, for a deadlift, for obviously the barbell version of the squat. It sets the foundation for movement principles of a jump and land for a cut and turn. You have to be able to control your body in a single leg decelerated motion, which is a single leg squat. So it's sort of the cornerstone motion that I think as a society, we've lost perspective of because we thought that it's more of an exercise than it is a movement. And whenever mm, yeah. we rearrange those priorities, we sort of leave a gaping hole in the athlete's ability, almost like building a house on a rocky foundation. And yeah. I think when you do so, you know, athlete after athlete, sort of the, the rising incidence of injury, you know, continues to grow. And I think we sort of limit our end potential performance wise because we're always hampered with aches and pains. That, and that makes a, a lot of sense. And I want to kind of back up a little bit. So how much do you think, when I, when I see somebody who, um, and you're, you're dealing with a different uh, type of person than I do on a daily basis, but when somebody comes in and they go through a, just like a regular body weight squat, like you were mentioning, mm -hmm. and then I hear, um, then they say like, oh, you know, my, either my hip hurts, my knee hurts, my ankle hurts, my low back doesn't feel right. And it's maybe not only when they do a squat, but maybe we start with a, that kind of movement pattern. And then they're like, Oh, I just don't feel, I just don't, I'm not feeling it. Something, something's going on. Mm -hmm. I like to kind of scale back. I'm like, well, what did you do yesterday? What'd you do before you come in today? How much, uh, how, how many injuries do you see that are just simple, like overuse, lack of rest injuries that reduce the quality of someone's squat? Oh, definitely. I mean, you, that's the big thing is, yes, we're looking for the movement that's been affected, but there's so many other factors that can limit someone's potential. And I think the big thing that I do is I take that, that movement pattern. You know, we, once we find an error, then it's time to use that breakdown to go, well, why do we have that issue? You know, mm -hmm. is it a mobility issue? Is it maybe a back issue that's not allowing their body to produce proper core stability, balance, sort of uh, the ability to coordinate the pelvis as you go down to the squat because maybe, you know, over and over again, you don't use a squat to pick down, you know, to pick up your laundry. You're just right. bending over, you know, you're using the stoop versus the squat lift and then over and over, you're just, you know, putting your back into a bad position. So then your back's the, the issue, but it all comes down to sort of viewing what's that problematic movement pattern. And then from there, we diagnose a little bit deeper to find out what's the exact problems and then we can fix those to then, in the end, fix the movement pattern and then address why the problem started in the first place. So can you give us an example of like maybe what are some things that you would do to fix the movement pattern? Um, and I'm not, give us like an example, if you have like an example of a, a common movement pattern era, uh, area that you see, and mm -hmm. then maybe an example 
of how somebody like you or someone treating someone like an athlete would, would go about addressing that? For sure. So the, the most common one I would say is a lack of ankle mobility. Yes. It's definitely one of those things that if you don't use it, you lose it. You know, as funny and as it is to say. I don't want to interrupt you. I'm mm-hmm. sorry to interrupt you, but like no. nobody really talks about that ankle mm-hmm. mobility. Yeah. Nobody, nobody addresses that. They always want to like look at the larger muscle groups. But anyway, continue. I just got really yeah. excited. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, and it's so common. There's, it's, it almost feels like I'm a record on repeat because there's so many different movement issues Good. that people will say, hey, why is my overhead squat like this? Hey, why do I turn like this when I squat? And it's over and over again. I'm like, here, first thing, check your income mobility. That's the yeah. first thing I check because, okay. so again, so I'll have someone will say, show me a deep squat. Deep bodyweight squat, take your shoes off first off because A, we, we got to think about the type of footwear that people use and so many times we are almost handicapping ourselves in that we are using a shoe that doesn't allow ourselves to express full ankle mobility throughout the day. So for example, if someone's wearing like a Nike Air Max, right? Mm-hmm. That shoe often probably has like a maybe a 14 millimeter heel drop. So it's like you're walk, walking around in like a, a small heel all day long. So you're not expressing, if you're not getting into a deep squat throughout the day, your cord, your heel cord, your Achilles is going to be shortened all day long to a small degree, which is eventually going to create adaptive changes. Now, same thing with Olympic weightlifters who are so used to wearing a heeled weightlifting shoe. If you're only using your heeled weightlifting shoe when you're squatting and you're not ever getting into a deep bodyweight squat, you may be, again, hiding a problem you have in ankle mobility. So a very simple screen. This is something that I, I first saw, I think, from Mike Reinald. He's a physical therapist that deals with a lot of baseball players but puts out a ton of great information. It's called the, the five-inch wall test. So basically, you're going to kneel by a wall oh, yeah. and mm-hmm. um, you know, put uh, you know, your toe about five inches from that wall. That's going to come out to be you know, a thumb, extended thumb plus your fist away from the wall. It's about five inches for most people. From there, you try to drive your knee towards the wall. And you're seeing, can you touch your knee to the wall at that distance? Now, is it a perfect test? No. It's a screen. Your goal is to basically weed out big deficits in ankle mobility. This is called closed chain ankle mobility where we're, you know, our foot's in contact with the ground. And if you're unable to even come close, that's a big sign. Hey, you're missing end range ankle mobility that is leading to problems up the chain. So often, if you have limited ankle mobility, two things are gonna happen. First, your pelvis is going to excessively round in order to go deeper into a squat, sort of that chain of events Mm -hmm. uh, that can lead from one problem area. So a lot of people will call that butt wink if you see an excessive rounding in the back um, or the pelvis basically. Um, And the second thing that you'll see is a dip of the chest. So your torso will become more inclined over over your knees. Exactly, because the ankles cannot be mobile. So basically, you are uh, not allowing your knees to translate further forward over your toes, um, which means that other parts of your body didn't have to move as compensation. So that's like the number one thing. The first thing I'll do, I'll see someone, if I see those compensations, I go, hey, let's, let's break this down. Let's see where we can find the problem. Where's the air coming from? If we find it in the ankles, that's obviously our first place to look for. So we would yep. start then ankle mobility exercises, either stretches or and or banded joint mobilizations if they have a um a blockage in the way that their bones are sliding over each other um very simple things that you can do if someone has a history of sprained ankles often that's a a pretty good sign that they're going to have a blockage in the front so they'll have like a pinch sensation as they try to drive their knee over their toe um you have to obviously address those very differently because if you just stretch someone that has a blockage in the front of their ankle you're not necessarily going to fix the cause of why you have limited ankle mobility right there 
So you have to go about treating the individual deficit based on what that person's presenting with. Sort of the, the whole idea, I shouldn't walk into a gym and see 30 people lined up all doing the same stretch because not right. every single person is going to have the same why behind their limited motion. Right. So that's a big thing is you have to individualize corrective exercises based on a person's weak link because people can show problem, problems in their movement patterns but due to different things. So that would be the first thing. We go about fixing and improving their mobility. You know, in that same session, we may do, you know, uh, five sets of 20 second stretches to the ankle, you know, maybe like a box stretch where I'm just pushing them forward and they're Mm -hmm. feeling a good stretch in the heel cord. Uh, We may foam roll for a little bit. A lot of people recently I've seen on on social media, they've been uh, almost downplaying the positive effects of foam rolling because obviously research doesn't show that it has a lasting effect, but that doesn't mean that it's not beneficial in creating short-term changes. You know, stretching itself doesn't really create long-term effects. If you look at all the science, and there's a lot of it out there, no research has actually proven that a regimented stretching program leads to long-term adaptation to changing your muscle length. Most stretching, all it does is it decreases and changes our stretch sensation or our ability to tolerate a greater stretch. So when you do five sets of 20 second ankle stretches, and then you go retest yourself, you should be able to see some improved stretching. Now, based on the duration of the hold and the intensity, how many reps you do and how hard you push, you're going to improve your flexibility of those muscles. But that improved flexibility is only going to last for so long. Mm -hmm. Um, Eventually, it's going to go back to baseline. But during that time, then you are going to be able to show a better looking squat. So it all then comes back to fixing your squat. So then you know and you're empowered to understand, hey, the next time I'm going to do a squat exercise or just, you know, my daily mobility work to work on improving the way in which my body moves, I need ankle stretches. Yeah. So, so yeah. I would, I would re- re- go back to like something you said about the, about the shoes. The very first thing we were talking about the shoes, it's mm-hmm. not just about like being an adult and being an athlete. We start, we start wearing shoes because, and, and over look at the past like decade, 15 years, probably even more, more than that. When, when running was like, you know, the thing to do 60s, mm-hmm. 80s, everybody was running. It's a different style of shoe than you see now. And now you've got these like those hookah shoes. Have you seen those things? <laughs> or those the heels, you're like four inches off the ground. And people are talking about, I just, that's not the right shoe for me. I need something with a thicker sole. I'm like, what are you talking about? You might as well yeah. just drive to wherever you're going. It's unbelievable. <laughs> but, but no, when you're, when you're talking about that, you're talking about like, we are trying to, um, we're, we're trying to like recreate something or we're trying to, uh, try to help a, a system get better that has been around our entire life. Like we've mm-hmm. always worn shoes, you know? It's like, hopefully the person that, that comes home after like lifting or a long day of work, they kick off their shoes, they can walk around barefoot and they don't feel pain, but that's not the case all the time, right? I mean, that's true. look at the ankle mobility as we get older, and I'm not, now I'm going off like a little tangent, but like you can see when people, um, when we age, you know, you, you've seen like the old person shuffle and it's not because like they have their, well, I mean, is mostly because of their leg strength, but because of the lack of leg strength, because they don't have any ankle mobility, they can't even like dorsiflex or plantar fle- no. flex properly. I mean, so it's definitely say- one of those things that if you don't use your body in the way that it was designed to be used, 
Right. You know, you're going to lose functional ability. I mean, obviously being a physical therapist, so many times I'm seeing these, you know, people also in their 50s, 60s, 70s, and Mm -hmm. how their body has deteriorated because of the way in which they've used it. And so many people, they'll come with the excuse. Well, when I was when I was 20, man, I used to be able to, to squat this much. I could run a, you know, 19 second, 200, you know, obviously a lot of people over-exaggerate things, but still I'm like, all right, you were an athlete. What happened? You stopped, you know, obviously life happens and you know, you have kids and you have a job and you have other obligations. Understandable that life is not easy, but you know, if you take this huge important factor in how your body is supposed to be worked and you just, mm-hmm. you know, leave it off. There's something that's going to happen down the road. You know, you are going to lose your ability to yep. walk down the street, to pick out your mail, to play with your grandkids. Yep. You know, you, you have to reprioritize things. And I think fitness is fitness and, and, you know, functional fitness and being able to move your body and squat big weight and deadlift a big weight. I mean, if, think about this. If, if you can deadlift 500 pounds and you have person B that can only deadlift maybe 80 pounds and it looks like crap because they haven't deadlifted in years. You know, those people both at 70 years old, who do you think is going to be the most functional and be able to walk down the street and hang out like they're 50 years old? Obviously the person that's deadlifting a crap ton more weight. You know, it's when you squat big weight and and deadlift big weight, the functional uh, core strength movements as we would think barbell training wise, those don't just work one or two muscles at a time. That's an unfortunate thing also of, and no shot at the bodybuilding world, but that's a shot at what the bodybuilding world has also infiltrated into our way of thinking that that's how we need to functionally train our body. So right. you see people when they get to that 50, 60, 70 year old, you know, and when they, we talk to them, well, what do you do for working out? And they go to the gym and they do machines or when they, they have a trainer, well, their trainer's doing, you know, isolated single joint movements. They're not teaching them how to deadlift, how to squat, how right. to lunge. You know, those are the ways in which our bodies are meant to be used because you are using your body in a way that's going to relate to things that you're going to do throughout your day and, you know, to live life as it was meant to be. You know, you're not right. just working one muscle at a time. And, and it's like not even a knock on machines because there are, there are definitely different places that those are, I mean, you're making the muscle stronger. But mm-hmm. if you're o- but if you're not going to go out and use that strength, then yeah. then it's really it's all it's almost it's all for naught. And the stronger you become, the better you become at doing those those things that are going to matter most. And you know later on down the line, I kind of took us off on uh, <laughs> a different a different uh, rabbit hole. But so let's get back on track. So you, you yeah. were talking about these these things that you can do, um, like moving upstream and downstream. So what let, let's say you you're getting somebody uh, through a program. Now their ankles are moving a little better. And what's the next progression from there? Where do you go from, from that part? Yeah, well, once we've been able to show a better quality of movement, it's then time to load that movement and to improve your quality or your capacity to maintain that quality through heavier load. So, you know, at the start, that's going to be like a kettlebell squat. They're just going to be holding a kettlebell in front of their body. That's usually a way that someone can start loading their body and maintain great form. Um, and then it's, you know, there's many different ways to load the body. Obviously one of my favorite ways is the barbell. So you can start off with the front squat. We can start off with the back squat. Um, but basically we're loading the body and testing how can that person, uh, show continued 
quality of that improved capacity to squat more and more weight. Um, and then also we need to basically break down and improve other qualities of that same thing. So as far as the double leg squat, I'm then going to push that person in the single leg squat version as well. Cause I think everyone should be able to perform a double and single leg version of the squat. Now, should everyone be able to pistol squat? No, you know, there's not a, a one size fits all when it comes to the pistol squat, because that requires excellent excellent ankle mobility, which some people are not blessed with. It requires excellent anatomy as far as your femur length and torso length. Some people are not blessed with that. It also right. requires your back most of the time to flex a good amount. So if someone has a history of a back injury and they don't tolerate their back moving in and out of a flex position or a bent position often, they're not going to be able to get down that deep. I mean, we talk about, I, I had an NFL player a couple years ago that came into me and he's 320 pounds. There's no way in hell I'm getting that guy to do a full pistol squat. <laughs> and why would he need to do a full pistol squat? He's never yeah. going to do that at his sport, but he should definitely be able to do at least a six to eight inch single leg squat excursion. That's walking down a staircase. Yeah. You know, there's going to be times in the sport of football where he's going to get pushed off balance. Right. And if he's unable to control his massive body, through at least a six-inch descent on one leg, his risk of injury greatly increases. And yeah. obviously there was a reason he was coming to see me for lower body issues was that he had these problems in controlling his body. So I think everyone should be able to, you know, most people. I've had a 96-year-old grandma doing a six-inch box touchdown squat. So That's on awesome. a six-inch box, tapping down one foot and back up. And guess what? She was doing awesome at 96 yeah. years old. I don't know many ladies that were able to – you know, show that good of quality of movement. And not even that, like to get her to realize how important that actually is at 96 years old. Yep. Like that's, that's an achievement in itself, right? Yep. Cause you start, you start to talk about these kind of things with people and um, even like something, you know, it's, it's funny and I'm probably gonna get off on another tangent again, but like the, <laughs> I, I was talking to somebody about a farmer's carry the other day and uh you know about like some of the basic movements that i believe in pressing pulling multiple directions pushing uh and carrying and and they're like well you know the farmers carry that's that's a young man's kind of thing and i'm like no i'm like let's <laughs> let's let's go talk, let's go talk about this we'll talk about like the muscles that are engaged and mm -hmm. you know and then like you know they're 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 worried about carrying heavy loads so i'm like well you don't start off picking up you know two you know, 60 pound dumbbells and just hiking up a hill. Like there's progression yeah. to these kind of things, but get breaking down those barriers and, and having people understand like the 96 year old lady, mm -hmm. here's why it's important. Here's why you're going to feel better. And then they get excited about it and they keep doing it. And, and, you know, you get like a smile, like you had in your face talking about it. It's, just, <laughs> it's everything. Yeah. I mean, the, the big thing that you talked about though, is you explained why it was so important. That's the big thing right. I always tell, especially a lot of the students that I have working underneath me as they're going through, you know, their clinical residencies is I say every single exercise you have or you're going to prescribe for a patient has mm -hmm. to have a good why behind it. I want yeah. you to tell me, hey, I want to add this and I'll say, well, why do you want to? And if you don't have a good paragraph explanation of here's my this, 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 this leads to this, which is treating this deficit, this, which is going to lead to this change, you don't understand why you're putting that in. I think too often, you know, it's easy in today's social media world to just see all these sort of corrective exercises or fancy looking, cool looking exercises. There's a lot of bands of and, you know, things that people say, well, this is functional. Well, if you can't explain exactly why you are using that exercise, you know, you're missing the entire point because not, there's not like a one size fits all. Yes, yeah, maybe a great exercise, 
for a certain person with a certain issue. Now, obviously there's our, you know, our basics of the pushes, pulls, squats, like we talked about. But uh, I think the big thing is once someone can understand why in, in a simplistic manner, you know, I don't think you need to overcomplicate things. No. And I think those that can take a complicated matter and explain it to you in a matter of fact way so that every single person out there can understand it. That's when you're going to get the most amount of buy-in and that's when you're going to get the most 100%. amount of change in what we're going for. hundred percent. Yep. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. So take all this information that you just gave us, which was a lot. <laughs> how does how does that define or how does that fit into the squat university and what like, kind of what is the squat university and and who's it for and why is it why is it something that you're passionate about yeah so like i said i sort of had this idea that the squat was almost that cornerstone uh movement pattern that was broken or we hadn't put into the correct perspective and i think with that in mind it then comes down to fixing that and then branching into so many different areas. So yes, when people look at the different social media aspects and different things I put out, yes, it has to do with the squat, but there's so many other avenues that I branch into because it all relates back mm -hmm. to the single movement of fixing and perfecting movement. You know, there's that quote by Socrates that I often, uh, you know, I used to say there, no man has the right to be an amateur in the matter of physical training. It is a shame for a man to go through life without finding the true strength that they're capable of. So it sort of relates back to the, the idea that everything we do should be to master and to understand what our body's capable of. I don't want you to have to go through life with aches and pains. I want you to be able to improve performance wise. And I think all that comes down to boils down to let's start with good quality movement. If we don't have good quality movement, how do we fix it? If you have mm -hmm. aches and pains, how do we fix it with the end goal of improving the quality of our movement and then in the end goal after that, improving our performance. So with yeah. Squat University, I've sort of, I started off a lot with just, um, just the squat. So I wrote an entire book, The Squat Bible, which was released last year, um, that basically detailed how to screen your body from head to toe and go through things that we talked about today. Um, and with the end goal of then putting back together, here's a couple corrective exercises for this individual thing that you just found for your body. So you can fix it. Here's ways to cue your body to move more efficiently um, with the end goal then of improving the quality of your squat. Since then, I've then started branching into talking a little bit more injury. You know, we talk about, well, if you have a hip flexor injury, mm -hmm. how do you know it's a hip flexor injury, not a hip impingement? Well, here's why. And so I try to take a lot of these scientific medical jargon that's so long, so many people have talked either down to people or they just haven't talked at all. You know, there's so, I mean, when I first graduated physical therapy school, I was all about writing research. I thought it was fun to say I had gotten a research article published in a physical therapy journal. And I, I got a few of them in there. And then I was realizing, I'm like, for all the amount of time that I spent writing this, how many people did I affect? How many people read that? And right. how many people did I help with that? And the answer is slim to none because the only people that are reading professional journals are other nerds like myself, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, if I could take all this desire to continue writing and trying to continue to helping people, but I, if I can take it and I can simplify it, and if I can talk to you in a matter of fact way and don't use that medical jar of, well, your dorsal flexion at 35 degrees, stuff that most people are going to be like, I don't know what the heck you just said. Yeah, exactly. But if I can talk in ways that every single person can understand, I can help change so many people by reaching people on a level that 
it hasn't been done. You know, uh, when I was going through physical therapy school, Kelly started out of Mobility Wad, I think was yeah. one of the first physical therapists to really sort of use social media as an outlet to reach the everyday gym goer, the, the athlete, the coach, the person that is looking to improve their body and the way in which they're moving, decrease these aches and pains. They've got a desire to want to improve and, and better themselves, but they don't have the information and they don't have, when they have aches and pains, they're thought to, or they're told, well, you need to go to this physical therapist or this the chiropractor, or you need to go to the doctor. And most of the time when they do go see those professionals, either hit with a huge sum of money because it costs a lot of money to obviously go see a medical professional, especially with insurance and how all that's jacked up today. You know, and then half the time, those people don't know how to talk on an everyday basis to, you know, you and me to educate and empower you. My big thing is I try to tell people that come to me as patients. I'm like, my goal is to empower you through active participation in this rehab program so that yeah. you can then take this and go away with it. And you don't have to come continue, you know, to, to treat or to come here for treatment, my treatment. So I don't rely right. a lot on passive modalities. I don't do a lot of ultrasound. I don't do a lot of electrical stimulation. I don't do a lot of scraping. I don't do Theragun. You know, not that those passive treatments are bad, you know, but it's, I think when you rely on a medical practitioner to make you feel better yep. in that, if that's not supported by active treatment, where you teach the patient how to fix their body and how to move better and how to empower themselves, then they only rely on that medical practitioner and they themselves don't take on the, you know, the goal themselves to be able to fix their body in the future. Yeah. So that's, I mean, obviously off on a tangent, but <laughs> that was, that was my big thing one. with Squire University is, is basically, like I said, I, my goal is to empower every single person to move better in the gym and in life to decrease their body's aches and pains with the end goal of improving their performance. So I have yeah. all these social media outlets. We talked about them before, uh, Instagram, Twitter, you know, I have a blog at squatuniversity.com. The big thing I do though is almost all my information is free. So yeah. I try to put out as much quality content and I'm not charging for any of it. I do have a book, but all my best information is out there for free because I also think that a lot of fitness professionals and strength conditioning professionals lose the end goal of what is potentially out there for them to continue helping people because they're trying to make a quick buck by yeah. charging people $19.99 to watch this or that or join this for $5.99 a month. And I'm just like, Yes, there's nothing wrong with making money, but if you don't continue to help put out good content for people at free, I think in the end, you're going to miss the potential of who you could affect because you're too, as a fitness professional, too worried about making a quick buck. That, dude, so, oh God, there's so, there so much there that I, I tried taking notes as you were writing, <laughs> as, as you were going, but like, so first of all, Kelly Starrett, um, even, I, I've taken his mobility one-on-one -on -one course, which is, which is excellent. And he has a saying that's basically similar to what you said about empowering people. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm going to butcher it. I'm going to butcher what he's quoting. <laughs> but it's basically, basically stating that every, every human has the right to treat themselves. Mm -hmm. And if, if, if you as a professional, if I as a professional, if we can't show the people that we work with, you know, because from my point of view, I'm, I'm from a different background, right? I'm, I'm a personal trainer. I, I, my expertise is in basic strength training, trying to help people move better, feel better, get stronger, stay 
you know, healthy for the long period of time using a total, a, a, a gauntlet of modalities, all safe and constructed inside of what like reasonable exercise research has found. And if I can show somebody, for instance, let's take what you're talking about with ankle mobility. If I can take that person through, if they come to see me for 30 minutes and the first 10, 10 to 15 minutes of that appointment we spend doing ankle mobility and I can explain to them, hey, this is why this is important. If you have the time to do this on the outside, please do it. Before our appointment, if you get here five to 10 minutes early, you know, do these, do these exercises. Nobody's going to bother you. Go do them mm -hmm. and then you and I can work together on other things. So giving those people as professionals and not saying like, oh man, not being so worried about like thinking that we have, you know, we have something that nobody else can touch. Like all these ideas are ours and we, we can only share them with a certain amount of people that we work with because they're paying us money. Where do you think we get those ideas from? You know what I mean? Exactly. Like I didn't come, exactly. we didn't come out of school with all of a sudden we're like, oh man, I know everything now. This is perfect. Nobody else that has this kind of education knows these kind of things. We are learning from each other to give other people a better quality of life. And if we can't share those, if we can't share that information with each other professionals, like this podcast, like the Squat University, like your podcast, like your book, all these different avenues, and we can't, and we can't have somebody on the outside looking in saying, wow, that person's actually making progress. What are you doing? If, that, if the individual that you and I work with can intelligently explain to someone else, well, you know, here's why I'm doing this. Not necessarily mm -hmm. saying like, here, you should do this too, but here's why I'm doing this. And yep. then that person gets like a spark to say, wow, I need to do more research on this. Maybe I have that kind of issue or mm -hmm. you know, I want to go talk to Aaron. I want to talk to Eric. I don't know. Just the whole idea of this, um, keeping everything secret. And like you said, charging, there's no problem with making money. Yeah. I'm all on board with that. But when it comes down to things that like the basic principles are already founded for us, there's no reason to hide that. Like it's not a cloak and dagger society, you know? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But Hey Aaron, I, look, I, I appreciate your time and, and all the good stuff that you're doing. If people want to get a hold of you, if they want to learn more about you, if they want to find your book, where are the best places to do that? Yeah. So all my information is across most of the big social media outlets. Uh, Instagram is probably the, the thing that I hit up every single day. The most uh, Facebook at Squire university page, um, Twitter, Squat University, Snapchat is Aaron Horshig. Uh, the blog is squatuniversity.com. My book is called The Squat Bible. It's on Amazon.com. And also, I have just recently jumped into doing my own podcast. I've just yep. recorded episode 11 today, so it's been a new venture recently. Um, and that's just called uh, Squat University Podcast. That's awesome. I mean, I, I appreciate your time and all the good information you're putting out and keep up the good work. And I'll link all that stuff to the show notes. I'll put the squat Bible in there. Um, one thing I, I, I kind of wanted to, to ask you, I'm uh, trying to get in the habit of asking these things, even though like, my, my brain just kind of shoots them down. But mm -hmm. what, you mentioned one of your favorite quotes um, overall, but what is a piece of, of guidance that maybe some of that you've learned from has told you that's always stuck with you that might be value to somebody else? I mean, the biggest thing I can tell someone is I want you to read something new every single day. Doesn't I want you to find something. It could be a blog post. It could be a piece of research. It could be um, really anything. You should do something every single day. You should find something new to read every single day. If it's a passage of a book or something like that. I feel like that's sort of key that I have found that has helped me progress um, in my own understanding of different things and in my own learning. I don't think, I think learning is always a continued thing. I, I remember so many people when I got done with school, obviously going through doctorate school, you're 
in school for a long time. There are so many people that are like, oh, that's the last test I'm ever to take, or that's the last time I read this piece of research. I'm like, dude, this is the time where you get to now start reading what you want to read every single day because right. you have the time. There, I think really when you go through life, if you can continue to learn something new every single day or read something new every single day, I think it's a little bit different than just listening to something. Obviously, it's easy to listen to a podcast because it's passive. You can be walking the dog. You can be driving down the street. So obviously, I think that is a great way to continue learning as well. But I really think if you can mold out you know, 15, 20 minutes every single day to try to just read something new, pick up a new book, read some new research, read a blog, um, I think it can really help you just improve upon uh, like we talked about today, just empowering yourself to take control of your body. Yep. Absolutely, man. Awesome, Aaron. I appreciate the advice. Thanks so much for having me on. Absolutely. My pleasure. Keep in touch. Uh, we'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you'd like to suggest a topic or be a part of the show, get in touch with Eric on any social media platform at Eric Feigl or email fcp at ericfeigl.com. Make sure to check back every Tuesday and Thursday for more fitness candor.